are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. In 1998, Steven Spielberg produced a movie called Saving Private Ryan. And in the movie, Saving Private Ryan, it tells the story of the Ryan family during the World War II era. It tells about three or four brothers, three of which get killed in battle, and only one brother is remained, and he is in this war as well. The military realizes the, just the difficulty of this situation for a family to lose three, knowing that the fourth is in harm's way. And not only is he in harm's way, he's on the front lines of battle. So in the interest of trying to save parents from losing all of their children in war, the military sends a group of men to save Private Ryan. But in order to save him, they must reach him on the front lines of battle. And so Captain Miller is tasked with leading the group to save Private Ryan. And in doing so, he loses his own life. At the end of the movie, as Private Ryan stands in front of the grave of Captain Miller, he asks, was I worth the sacrifice? There's something honorable about saving a life. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And today I would like to try to unpack a thought on this subject, saving Jesus, saving Jesus. Jesus had begun to prepare his disciples for his death. He invites them to a Passover dinner. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 22 that he came to this time and this hour, and he reclined at the table, and the apostles were all with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I'm getting ready to suffer some things, and I want to eat this last meal with you, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. I would imagine that there would have been a little bit of a heaviness that descended on that group. Maybe the, the joyous occasion of being with Jesus probably was tempered a bit with now him saying, and let's eat before I suffer. 
you ever had one of those meals? I can't recall a meal like that. We don't, we don't have meals around that occasion much. But Peter, it seems, is really struggling with this idea. And as the meal goes and as the discourse goes, Jesus and Peter have this little conversation. And Peter said, the Bible says in Luke 22, Lord, I, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter indicates to Jesus that Jesus was not about to go through this alone. And in fact, Peter is really saying, if there's any way I'm going to stop this. I'm not going to let you go through this. And that's when Jesus makes those famous words to Peter. I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. You're going to deny that you know me three times. And Jesus then says to them in this passage in Luke, he says, when I, when I sent you out with no money in your knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, no, we haven't really lacked anything. And they said, let, then he said, let, let, it, let uh, the one who has money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. In other words, Jesus was saying things are changing. The nature of our relationship is getting ready to change. And what I had told you before and that I was providing for you now is changing. And so he said, for I tell you, this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. That in other words, I'm about to go down a path that the transgressor is called to go down. Again, he's telling them, I'm getting ready to die. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said, Jesus said to them, it is enough. Now, it's not that Jesus was saying there's two swords and that'll be enough swords. In fact, there's been some misinterpretation of this verse, even in early Christianity, that they felt that it would allow for the fighting and the killing, because there were, Jesus seemed to say that the two swords were enough. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, that's enough. Stop talking about it. You're going in the wrong direction with this conversation. I'm going to suffer. The nature of our relationship is changing. And we're not going to be needing what we needed before. We're not going to fight this as we have before. Or at all. So after this, Jesus leads them to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a place that Jesus has been before. It's a place of, if I, I could say it like this, spiritual comfort for Jesus. So common was it 
that Judas would know exactly where to find Jesus because Jesus had taken them there before. And so Luke writes about it, and he says, and he came out and went as it was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down And he began to pray. Reading the different gospels, you find that most likely Jesus probably prayed in this setting about three hours or more. And Luke 22 records the agony and the suffering of his prayer. In that Beginning in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. His prayer was agony. He was hours of wrestling. And three times he came to the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he found them sleeping. And he came to the disciples, and Matthew, it records, and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter... So could you not watch with me one hour? You talked a big game there at the Passover supper. You've talked a big game, Peter, about how you were going to stand up for me and how you were going to do this. Peter, you're, you're sleeping. And we know from other accounts, they were sleeping for sorrow. They were sleeping because they were absolutely devastated by what they realized was happening in the uncertainty of the moment. So in the early hours of Friday morning, a group of soldiers, religious leaders, and a small crowd were led by Judas to the place where Jesus was praying. And John records it like this. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having produced a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns, with torches and weapons. They came prepared to arrest Jesus. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Because remember, John is pointing out details that demonstrate that he is God, that he is the great I am. And so he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Now it's dark. They can't see real good. That's one of the reasons Judas had to bring them to him. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. But watch what he says. So if you seek me, let these men go. Jesus is beginning to save 
these men. Let these men go. And this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. Now we get to this part of the story that you might have heard is very intriguing. Then Simon Peter having a sword. So he's one of two. You can guess who had the other one. I don't know. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, I think it's important that you realize Peter was not swinging for his ear. This was not an attempt to just nick him. This was an attempt to lob off his head. Jesus, you're you're not going down. Jesus, I'm going to save you. Jesus, I'm going to help you in this moment. Because it's apparent that you need a little help. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? In other words, why are you trying to protect me? Why are you, Peter, trying to save me? And so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. I think it's a fair question to ask, why was Peter trying to save Jesus? Had not Jesus just told him that he was about to suffer? Why would Peter try to save Jesus. We understand why Jesus in this moment is trying to save the disciples. We get that. But why was Peter trying to save Jesus? Peter believed in Jesus. There's no doubt about it. This wasn't a lack of faith, I don't think. I I don't think we could argue that Peter didn't love Jesus. Because he seemed to be willing to get into a brawl on behalf of saving Jesus' life. Wasn't that he didn't believe he was following Jesus. In this moment, he's having a conflict. He's standing up to the Romans. He's standing up to the religious leaders. Peter was trying to save Jesus. And I suppose... One of the reasons Peter tried to save Jesus was because he didn't fully understand what was happening. Peter didn't understand what Jesus was trying to accomplish in its totality. He didn't understand completely 
the steps that Jesus was trying to take and needed to take. Even though Jesus tried to tell him, Peter had his own way. He had his own idea of the way that things should be. So he said, I'm going to save Jesus. But I think as importantly as this idea of sticking up for Jesus, I think Peter was trying to save himself. Peter was not just trying to protect Jesus, but Peter was no doubt looking out for himself. And I think it's possible that we can take this same position. Hear me out. We can believe in Jesus. We can begin some kind of relationship with Jesus. However, like Peter, we can try to fill in the blanks from our lack of understanding with our own preferences. We can create a gospel according to ourselves. We can create a savior that fits our aspirations. We can create a God that fits our understanding of God. We can create a Lord who we can control. We try to save Jesus when we, like Peter, try to create our own version of God's plan. Hear me now. When you try to put Jesus in the Bible on your terms, you are trying to save Jesus. We invite Jesus to follow us. Follow me. I know the way, Jesus. I know what you need to do in my life. I know what you need to do in this situation. Follow me, Jesus. I want to save you. Because I I don't think you quite know, Jesus, what's really going on. I I don't think you quite understand the, the gravity of this situation. Jesus, follow me. Jesus, let me show you what needs done. Jesus, I know your word says this, but I I think you'd probably agree that that might not be the best way to do things considering our culture, considering the generation that we're in. Jesus, I think I've got a little bit better way. Jesus, let me save you. Throughout Scripture, you find those who tried to create their version of the will of God based on what they understood and based on what they wanted. Adam and Eve would say, God, I know you said this, but I I think there might be something more. I'm not content to just let your words stand alone. I think I've got to find something else. It was the children of Israel after wandering the wilderness, and they were on the edge of the promises of God, but they thought, you know what, God, I I think I can find a better way. These enemies are just too great. I know you said we could conquer them. I know that you said we could overcome it, but God, I think I have a better way. I'm going to save you, God, from a little bit of embarrassment. King Saul, I 
I, I know you told me, God, to, to completely alienate the or annihilate the enemy, but I, I don't think you've considered what it would really look like if I just saved one of the kings. God, I know your word said I should eliminate the enemy, but God, this king would really make you look good. So God, I'm going to save you. I'm going to help you out a little bit. It was Naaman who would have said, I, I know you said, prophet, that it takes seven times in the, the river to, to come up clean, but there's got to be an alternative. There's got to be another way. Let me save you, God. See, we will never accomplish the will of God with partial obedience. Partial obedience to the will of God is complete rebellion. Partial obedience to the will of God is complete rebellion. God doesn't call us to a partial surrender. God is not asking us to be mostly obedient. God is not inviting us to a half-hearted relationship with him. God is not calling us to a life of nearly surrendered to him. Can I preach to you this morning? Can I challenge us this morning? Peter, I appreciate your effort to try and help Jesus out. I appreciate your attempt to provide for him a better plan. But Jesus told Peter, you don't need the sword. Peter said, I'll die for you. I'll go to prison for you. I'm prepared. And Jesus said, Peter, I don't need this. Put your sword in its sheath, but I have to drink the cup that the Father has given me. There's a will that supersedes your misunderstanding, and there's a will that supersedes your fear, and there's a will that supersedes your doubts. Peter, I haven't called you to save me. Why are you trying to protect me? But I think we would be wise to realize and to surrender to this fact. I'm preaching to you this morning. We would be wise to realize that Jesus still knows best. When we see Peter's attempt to save Jesus, we see Peter really trying to save himself. He was what? trying to remain alive. At the heart of our desire to save Jesus is the desire to save ourselves. Don't ever mistake it. Anytime you read the word of God and you think, ah, well, I don't know if that's necessary. Let me tell you why you're thinking that. It's because you want to save yourself. But I think if we're honest, we don't surrender everything to Jesus all the time because we want to continue to live our own way. We want us to remain alive. We want our lives to survive. We don't surrender all because we want to remain alive in this world. And that is why Paul would tell us, and those who belong to Christ Jesus 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's no passion in you. There's no carnal decision or carnal nature in you or or anything that comes from your carnal ability or mind that has anything remotely to do to help Jesus out. The way that we help Jesus out is to be crucified with him, to die out to our sins, to die out to our passions and desires. Our job is not to save Jesus. And Jesus would tell his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's an empowering passage of Scripture. You want to really live? Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You want to really do something significant in this life? Surrender all to Jesus Christ. Don't let there be one ounce of your carnal nature that gets its way in your life. Don't let one ounce of your flesh be permitted to just go unchecked, but surrender all. I love the song, I surrender all. Oh, hallelujah. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And forfeits his soul. Consider now the context of this passage in Mark chapter 16. Before Jesus ever says this, what does he say? From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised. This is before the Passover dinner. This is before they ever met in the garden. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, that this will ever happen to you. See, when Peter got to the Passover and Peter got to the garden, Jesus had already fought this battle with Peter. Peter was already pushing back, saying, Jesus, I'm going to save you. Jesus, I'm going to keep you from this. And that's why Jesus, as quickly as he commended Peter, he condemned Peter. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Peter, you're not looking at this through the eyes of God. You're looking at this through the eyes of men. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of men. And I tell you today, Jesus doesn't need you to save him. Jesus doesn't need you to save him in this world. In fact, consider this. Jesus didn't even try to save Jesus. Isn't this what we, he was mocked for while hanging on the cross? Save yourself and come down from the cross. So all the chief priests and the scribes mocked him, saying one to another, he saved others, he cannot save himself. 
In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus would wrestle this out. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And this is what allowed him to accomplish the work on the cross. It was the decision to relinquish his human will to the will of God. Jesus relinquishing his human will to the will of God allowed him to die on the cross. Why? So he could be our savior. In order to save us, he had to suffer. In order to save me, Jesus had to be the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In order to save you, Jesus had to die a cruel death on the cross. And he said, Peter, stop trying to save me. This is the only way in which you and I will accomplish the will of God in our life. That's why he called Peter Satan. Had Peter gotten his way and saved Jesus' life, Salvation would not have been possible for the rest of the world. Peter, you don't see it all. You don't understand it. Can I tell you today that Jesus came to save us from ourselves, not to ourselves. Jesus did not come to save us, or Jesus came to save us from ourselves, not to ourselves ourselves. And this is an incredible opportunity that we have to live a life with meaning, to live a life with purpose and joy. And it comes from letting Jesus be the Savior. You need to let Jesus save you. Let him be the ultimate decider on how your life should be lived. Let me say it again. You need to let Jesus be your savior. Every aspect of your life, let him save you. You want to find complete freedom. You have to throw everything down and say, God, I need your love. You have to throw everything away that you're holding on to that you think is somehow preserving your life and preserving Jesus And say, God, here is all of me. Not part of me, not a portion of my heart, but here is all of me. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Jesus did not come to save us in our sins. Paul would write, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have 
been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This only happens if Jesus is our savior. If we're trying to save Jesus, we're not going to find this freedom and this grace in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want to remind us today, Jesus is still the Savior of the world. And that's good news. He's still saving those who hunger for him. He's still saving those who are desperate for him. He's still saving the worst of the worst. He's still saving the outcast and the lost and the misused and the broken. And what I love is Jesus doesn't just save a little. Jesus doesn't just save a little. But Hebrews said, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. He's able to save to the uttermost. It means absolutely, completely. It means at all times, he is able to save to the uttermost. He's able to save whatever sin you can dial up. He's able to save whatever backsliding you can take. He's able to save whatever condition you find yourself in. Jesus still saves. Oh, hallelujah. And the life saved by Jesus Christ is the good news that this world needs. See, the world doesn't need to hear about you saving Jesus. About how you made Jesus palatable for everybody around you. How you made Jesus uh, uh, available because you were able to kind of change God's plan a little bit so it fit in a little bit better. Let me tell you, that's a bunch of hogwash. You need Jesus to save you. And when you are saved, that's what the world needs. That's what they're going to be attracted to. That's what's going to pull them out of darkness. They don't need a partial darkness to be saved. They don't need your partial obedience. They need your wholehearted obedience to a Savior who died for your sins. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Say it with me. Jesus saves. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus uh, saves. This world needs a Christ uh, that we have completely surrendered to. This world needs stories of people who have surrendered to the power of God completely. This world needs stories of people who have completely surrendered to the plan of God, even when it costs you a little bit, even when it costs you a little bit of embarrassment, even when it costs you a little bit of money, even when it costs you a little bit of time. We surrender all. The world needs stories of people who are surrendered to the path of God. 
The will of God walking in his will. The world needs stories of people who have surrendered to the purpose of God in their life. And how often, and I'll put myself right in this mix, how often am I like Peter when we try to create our own version of the plan of God? In reality, like Peter, we keep people from hearing about Jesus when we try to live our own version of Christianity. We try to create a humanistic version of God's plan. And what happens? People don't end up hearing the life-saving message. Their ear is cut off. Their ear is cut off. Because we've tried to save Jesus. We've tried to live this life of straddling both sides of the church and the world. We tried to figure out a way where people wouldn't think we're that different or we're that uh, obsessed with God. And what ends up happening is we cut off the ear. And people can't hear. They can't hear the real wonderful power of God in our life because people see us and they go, well, it didn't really make that big of a difference. Oh, hallelujah. But even though that ear got cut off, what do we say? What do we see? Jesus said, that's all right. I'm going to reach down and pick that ear back up. Peter, we'll act like that didn't happen. (laughs) And what's interesting now is when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, he told them the message of Jesus Christ. He told them about the power of Jesus Christ. When they, they, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues, and they began to question, what should we do? Something's crazy going on. A bunch of people came around, and they said, what should we do? We hear these people speaking in our own language. What are we supposed to do? And I find it just a little bit intriguing. That the scripture says, now when they heard this, what did they hear? They heard Peter preaching the word of God. Not a version of what Peter wanted, but the absolute gospel of Jesus Christ. And what does it say? When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. See, the word of God has its way. You don't have to try to manufacture some way to reach people. You don't have to try to manufacture a way that's a a little bit better so people can hear the word of God easier. No, just speak the word of God with love. Speak the truth in love and let the word of God do what it's meant to do. In the word of God, and it says they were cut to the heart. And Peter said... And they said, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you, to your children, and all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I don't have time to talk about Malchus. You read John chapter 18. He mentions Malchus by name. Most believe he mentioned him by name because he would have been an early Christian. He somehow was able to hear the word of God. 
Our attempts to save Jesus and save ourselves keeps people from being able to hear the gospel. We think we're saving Jesus from embarrassment. You see, we're keeping Jesus from humiliation out there in the marketplace. We're keeping Jesus from shame. And we think people will somehow be more attracted to Jesus if we can create a version of Christianity that is not as difficult. But in reality, a life not completely surrendered to the Lord deafens the message of the cross. First century church, don't you think it would have been better to not be so zealous? Just think about the persecution you could have avoided. Just think about the influence you could have had in society and in government. Just think about the resources that you could have had if you had just tried to protect Jesus in yourself and lived a life that was a little more adaptable. Today, I'm not suggesting that we should just live in a way that seeks to be weird. Some people take that route. I just want to be really weird, and that glorifies God. Or in a way that is always in conflict with our culture, just so we can stand out. I'm glad culture has changed a little bit in America. And I'll say amen. There's some things about our culture that I'm not particularly proud of. And I'm thankful that that culture does change, but culture doesn't dictate to us the word of God or what the gospel means. Complete surrender to everything God has called us to is how this world has hope. We don't have to worry about saving Jesus from this world. We don't have to worry about saving Jesus from culture and helping him fit in better. We don't have to worry about saving Jesus from the government. We don't have to worry or try to save Jesus from being mocked. We don't have to try to save Jesus from being made fun of. We don't have to try to save Jesus from being misunderstood. That's why Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Oh, hallelujah. We're not called to save Jesus. In reality, that Jesus died to save us. We need to be saved. What would your life look like if you surrendered all? How would you live if you didn't care as much about trying to fit in with culture? How would you live if you weren't so concerned about saving Jesus or yourself from being questioned? How would your life look different if you weren't afraid to be persecuted for Christ's sake? Who would you pray for if you weren't concerned? weren't really worried if God heals them or not. And you're not trying to save Jesus' reputation. Who would you witness to if you weren't worried about them thinking you're a little bit different? The reality is Jesus doesn't need saved. We do. And his work on the cross is enough. It's enough. Would you stand with me this morning? Captain Miller, tasked with leading that group to save Private Ryan, in doing so, he lost his life. Private Ryan asked in front of that grave, 
Was I worth the sacrifice? Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus thinks that much of you. You were worth him dying. Your salvation was worth his suffering, his agony, his struggle. You were worth it. And today, I wonder if somebody in this room would surrender all. You would say, you know what, Jesus? I've tried to save you a few times in my life. Actually, I was trying to save myself. But Lord, I'm going to try to surrender today. I'm going to surrender some things in my life that need to be given to you. Because your way is better than my way. I want to pray for you before I invite us to come. If you have not repented of your sins, been baptized in his name, or been filled with the Holy Spirit, today's a great day for you to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want to pray. Lord God, I thank you for your kindness. I thank you, God, for your patience with us. I thank you for being willing to go to the cross You were willing, Lord, to save us. You were willing to surrender all so that we could find a hope of freedom. That our flesh and our passions and our desires cause us to live a life that is miserable. Oh, there's joy in sin for moments. But Lord, there's This element, Lord, this feeling, God, of knowing that we're not right with you completely, that you're seeking to bring freedom into some people's lives in this room this morning. Those, God, who maybe are just trying to figure out how to surrender all, I pray, God, that you would just beckon them Just as you had mercy on Peter in that moment, Lord, for his desire and his unwillingness to really listen and obey, Lord, you walk alongside of us, you allow us, Lord, to make mistakes, but you keep calling us to something better, something greater. And I'm praying in this room today, I'm praying in this room, there would be a spirit of surrender. There would be an attitude that says, God, I surrender all. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now I want to invite you to come. I want to invite you to the front today. Maybe you want to repent of your sins in a fresh way. I want you to do that. Feel comfortable to do that today. If you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit today, I want you to come. We're going to pray with you. We're not going to embarrass you, but I want you to step forward. You've never repented. You've never said, Lord, I will want you to be my savior. This is a great day to say that. There are those today who, like Peter, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for some time. 
but you still haven't quite surrendered everything to him, I wonder if today you would say, God, I surrender all. Because you died on the cross for me. You saved me. Let's pray together. We're going to pray for one another. If you feel led to pray with somebody, I want you to do so. Let's let the power of God move in this room. I feel his touch. I feel his presence. He's here today to pick you up. He's here to wrap his arms around you today. Lord Jesus, I pray. I pray for your strength in this room right now. I pray, God, for your love to walk in this room, Lord, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. God, you're not afraid of our backsliding. You're not afraid, God, maybe of some things we've done that maybe we're not proud of, Lord, but you're calling us. You're calling us, Lord, to a life surrendered to you. Oh, Jesus, I pray we would bow a knee today. We would bow a knee in this room. We would bow our hearts in this room today to surrender to your Lordship, to surrender to you as our Savior, Lord. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.